0: Namo tasa pakawato, arahato samma sambutasa. Napmo tasa pakawato, arahato samma sambutasa. Napmo tasa pakawato, arahato samma sambutasa. Putang tamang namasami. This is the first time I've been back in this seat since February or March of this year. So, I've been very, uh, very, very, very happy indeed to listen to Lumbhpor Sumato's Dhamma talks. Very enjoyable to be a student and to to be able to soak up his great wisdom. Uh, but uh, 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 to uh, today. Um, he was uh, a bit depleted, but uh, a bit weary, so uh, he uh, declined to give a Dhamma talk this afternoon. So, uh, it's created the occasion for myself to uh, come on, come up onto the Dhamma seat and to offer a few reflections. Uh, as people know, this is the anniversary of char's birth, 103 years ago, 1918, in Ban village in uh, Ubon Ratchathani province, northeast Thailand. Uh, uh, uh cha uh Chot, i think was his uh, family name he was uh, born one of many brothers and sisters in a in a uh, northeast Thai subsistence farming family as a very um, uh, ordinary a humble birth but uh, here we are today. Uh, we are uh, living together in this monastery, following this way of life, uh, endeavouring to train our our hearts, our minds, uh, in the the Dhamma Vinaya established by the Lord Buddha, largely because of uh, the efforts and the dedication and the wisdom of this one person who was born in northeast Thailand over a hundred years ago. So. Uh, this is a good occasion to, as I've been saying a few times today, to reflect upon Lumpur Cha's teachings and uh, our, the legacy that we have received, our inheritance from him, what he, what he has passed on to us in terms of our way of life and the teachings and the mode of practice of Dhamma. And to, I uh, say, look upon his, his, his life, his presence and, uh, and how it has affected us and how it can continue to to guide us into the future. Uh, one of the, the things that crossed my mind first of all was uh, one of the readings that I gave today from the little book uh, No Ajahn Cha was a, a dialogue that uh, uh, I was very, very struck by a very powerful statement by, by Longpo Cha where a... Um, a lay person came to visit him, an elderly person from a different province, and uh, they said, uh, uh, "I'm uh, I'm getting very old, and I uh, haven't uh, got much time left to, to to live. And this is an opportunity for me to come and receive some teachings. Can you share some some uh, some dhamma to uh, briefly to to help me? yeah uh, you know, because my my life is coming to an end. I'm quite aged, and so I'd like uh, I like your advice." and uh, Cha apparently spoke uh, to her to her very very strongly and said you yeah, what are you talking about getting old and dying um there's nothing here just these uh, there's no person here there's there's just these elements uh, come together that will come apart uh, i'm paraphrasing here i haven't memorized the uh, the passage but then he he, uh, he made this this very powerful statement that sticks in my mind and is Kind of relevant when celebrating a birthday, <laughs> he said. Uh, Those who speak of birth and death are talking in the language of ignorant children. <laughs> <laughs> just just that much. Uh, it says it says so much. It's such a, a powerful statement, a declaration. Those who speak of birth and death are talking in the language of ignorant children. So it. Uh, and it was a, a a a teaching that he was giving to be of, of great benefit to this this person and uh, but he's also speaking from the heart he's speaking from direct experience direct knowledge direct understanding of of the way things are and in that uh, in that speaking he is uh, say putting forth that uh, perspective that really uh, dhamma is unborn undying and um the Dhamma is the fundamental reality. Don't attach to this body, this personality, this this name, this life uh, uh, that you've been calling yours. It's not what you are. It's never has been, and, and never will be. So let go. Don't well, don't hang on to it. Don't even don't try to hang on to it because it can't be held onto. So wake up. <laughs> so uh, with that teaching in mind, then to talk about Lumbardha's birthday and his passing away, um, it seems a uh, a little bit out of place, but another of the readings that uh, I gave today was um, where uh, the, I think the very last reading I gave before the mealtime, um, one of the, his Western disciples had been uh, reciting to him, translating the Heart Sutra, which is all about the, empty, the, the emptiness of the five khandhas. been translating that for, for Lumpur. Into Thai so that you know Lumpur Chah could understand it, uh, and Lumpur Chah said uh, said you know and uh, uh, this is a, a, a profound teaching, but also there's you know there's the there's no Bodhisattva, no Buddha either, and then speaking in these um, very uh, say profound terms, but he said but the final point that he made was but even though we can say you know no Bodhisattva, no Buddha no uh, no emptiness either. <laughs> Uh, uh, yet yeah, we have to use language we need to use conventions we need to use ideas and words in order to communicate so even though there is that ultimate perspective then uh, like giving a Dhamma talk right now using words we use these conditioned forms to help the heart to awaken to that fundamental unconditioned reality and that's uh, in a way very very characteristic of Lumpo Cha's uh, style his mode of, of teaching and his mode of being that he was very uh, uh, very much awake to that fundamental uh, timeless unborn undying reality but yet uh, at the same time he was extremely grounded he was very uh, very attentive to the material world extraordinarily observant he was able to to read situations read uh, people's moods and uh and to uh, uh, to discern what's the appropriate thing to to do or to say or to, what way to guide things moment by moment, he was extraordinarily attuned to the qualities of the material world and the, the people around him and the, the needs of the the people around him. So that mixture uh, of of uh, liberated wisdom, uh, uh, that quality of uh, uh, Lokutarapanya, supramundane wisdom, or you can say the quality of vijja, uh, awakened awareness, and then also the quality of, uh, of conduct uh, that is perfectly attuned to the situation, that mindfulness and wisdom that, that, uh, d- discerns and, and guides what's the, the right thing to say to be helpful to a person or what's the appropriate way to, to, um, Say steer things that's going to be of most benefit to 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 most people in that situation. So there's uh, an understanding of convention and the use of convention, and also an understanding of that which is beyond convention, that which is, say, that that which is transcendent or that which is uh, liberated. And he would use this, this combination of terms kong samut for uh, the conventional truths or conventional things, samuti satcha, the conventional truth, and kong vimut, samut and vimut, works very well in Thai, vimuti being liberation, and that uh, he would uh, uh, point out how you, uh, in order to know liberation you have to understand convention, in order to understand convention and use convention skillfully, you need to know liberation. Reflecting upon his his life and his teachings of what what has made him such an extraordinarily effective presence in, in the world, in in the lives of all of us gathered here at Amravati and uh, in in uh, hundreds hundreds of monasteries around the world, and and uh, thousands, tens of thousands, uh, probably hundreds of thousands of, of lay people in different places all around the planet who look to his teachings for guidance and, and inspiration. You know what. What are the qualities uh, that have uh, say been brought to fulfillment in his life? what were the, the uh, say the particular um, skills or attributes or, or aspects of his, his his nature his practice that had made him such an effective and helpful teacher or well, reflecting on this today. Um, even though he had a number of teachers, different forest monks uh, of his time, um, uh, Lungpho uh, Lung Kinneri um, and Lumpur Tongrat were, were uh, local forest monks in the in the Ubon area. They were both out of the Mahanikai lineage of, of uh, the monastic order in Thailand. Um, they were important teachers for him and he stayed and practiced with them for quite some time when he was a uh, a younger monk, uh, and then Lumphu Man, of course, uh, his uh, the great Ajahn of that uh, of that time in the forest tradition was um, from a different lineage, so uh, from the Dhammayut lineage. And Cha only spent a few days with him, but his time with, with Lumphu Man was extraordinarily uh, powerful and illuminating. So he did have these these teachers and people who were his guides. But uh, in reading his um, his uh, uh, his Dhamma desnas, and then being around people who've practiced with him. My own experience of being with him, li- though limited, though that was. Even though I lived in Thailand for for two years in the late '70s, but I was mostly uh, different monasteries. So I only spent about three weeks altogether in in Ajahn Chah's company in that that two-year period, uh, not. Uh, uh, yeah, certainly not a month uh, in his his company so I wasn't physically with him that much but uh, my own experience of being with him and that of, of others being with him and if you read his teachings, listen to his teachings then it, it uh, becomes apparent that uh, uh, mostly he learnt from his own experience he he did have ajans, did have teachers but a huge amount came from his own um, powers of investigation and wise reflection. He had an extraordinarily um, reflective a cu- a mind, blessed with a lot of curiosity, wanting to understand things. On the, the the negative side of that, it would mean that he he doubted a lot. He would get caught up in a lot of of doubt and anxiety and. Um, could get really <laughs> fretful and worried and, and tortured by doubts. But on the positive side, it, it brought a, a tremendous quality of wisdom. There's that mind that's always trying to understand uh, how things are working and seeing things from different angles. So, um, if you, if, if you consider that aspect, um, that kind of ability to think outside the box, as they say, Seeing things from different perspectives, different points of view—not just following along with uh, a uh, uh, so an inherited uh, take on things, or just what the people around him believed, or what they did, or what they took to be important, or true, or right—he had the kind of mind that was curious. So, well, why is that true? Or you know, how do you uh, how do you know that? Or where does that come from? Or well, just because they they say that. Uh, how do we know that that's that's valid how do we know that that's true what what's that backed up by and uh, i feel if you, if you read the the suttas, you look at the life of the buddha uh, that the the lord buddha himself had a very very similar character that was able to think outside the box before his enlightenment uh, just the very fact of his turning away from the path of of uh, self mortification the the atakilamathanu yoga the the kind of uh, ascetic path was absolutely standard amongst meditators and yogis in his time. That The Buddha had that uh, as a bodhisattva, uh, before his enlightenment he had that ability to to question well okay this is what everybody does but why do we do this? <laughs> we, we say that this is important or valuable, we say that this is helping to burn off bad karma but is it, does it, how does that work? Um, and uh, the, in the, this uh, very powerful passage, where he's been reflecting on his austerities, he's actually so sort of keeled over and, and, and fainted from exhaustion and just uh, from weakness, from malnutrition and, and exhaustion. And uh, he reflects, "Yeah, you know, I know the limit to which feeling goes. Yeah, you know, I've felt as much pain as it's possible for this human system to feel, but still, even though I can, I can feel as much pain as it's." Is it possible for a human being to feel? Still, that that isn't liberating in and of itself. That that that's that's not something that's leading towards greater understanding, greater liberation. So, wh- why do I think that this is somehow purifying or somehow tr- uh, transformative or it will lead to transcendence? So that same kind of of capacity to challenge um, the uh, it, it sort of uh, received. Knowledge or the, the the assumptions of the society around or the the belief systems of the, the people around, I feel Lupochar really embodied that same kind of capacity and, and a lot from a lot from his own inner character, his own inner nature, just uh, a, uh, a uh, quality of his own heart, his own mind, and perhaps from the conditioning from his family, perhaps from his paramita from previous lifetimes, or just the uh, the kind of spiritual ripeness that uh, of conditions that came together in a particular way that gave that very lively intelligence—not just uh, an intelligence of cleverness, but that sense of of uh, being inquisitive and and uh, challenging the uh, customary ways of of uh, forming things and and trying things out experimenting doing things in different ways being ready to to uh, to, to not follow a fixed pattern like the uh, the story that the uh, lumpus would often tell when uh, when he went to to uh, and met Cha in 1967 he'd only been a monk a bhikkhu for a few months and uh, he he wanted to train under the uh, under the Vinaya discipline, and the, the monastery where he'd been living was mostly meditation, a or sort of strict meditation monastery, but they, they didn't emphasise communal living or, or, Vinaya, or the Vinaya discipline so much. And he wanted to to uh, to learn from a, a Vinaya master and to be able to to sort of broaden his scope of his monastic training. But the meditation practice he'd been using up to that time was a, a method out of the Chinese tradition called uh, The uh, the Investigation of the Huatou, uh, uh, using a kind of reflective inquiry into the question, Who am I? And uh, when he went to meet Lumpo Cha, Lumpo asked him, What kind of meditation have you been doing? Through a translator, this monk uh, um, who had uh, taken Ajahn Sumedho, or the young Bhikkhu Sumedho to meet uh, Ajahn Chah, could translate into English. And uh, Ajahn Sumedho described his practice, and, and he was expecting Lumpur Chah to say, Well, don't do that. You should follow my method instead. And uh, Lumpur Sumedho said, You know, so often he was really surprised when Ajahn Chah didn't say, You know, you've got to drop that and do my method instead. He he just asked him, Well, do you get good results from that? And uh, he said, Yes, uh, I do. You know, this uh, I, I find it's very uh, very helpful in this way and this way and this way, and it, it brings a lot of clarity and wisdom and, and so to his astonishment Lumpur Cha just said okay we'll just carry on doing that and then a, a, a while later sometime later when um, uh, he'd uh, been living at Wat for a, a few years I believe he asked Ajahn Chah you know that practice I told you about that y- using the, 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 the question who am I and making that a, a central part of the practice to, to develop wisdom had you ever heard of that kind of practice before and Lumpur said no. <laughs> never heard of it and he said well, well how come you were happy for me to do that and he said well you know your experience was that it was beneficial for you so you know who, who was i to say that it wasn't any good uh so you know, you'd found benefit from it so why would i uh sort of stand in the way of that because you know, your experience was that it was uh it was uh productive of helpful qualities. And also, and he also said, but also, I knew that the particular form of meditation practice, that's only one tiny piece of living in a monastery. And he said, yeah, I knew that mostly what you'd learn from Wapapong is you know, dealing with the, the, the climate, with the diet, with living with other monks. With having to to deal with with disease and and, uh, discomfort and all the ups and downs of of living in a community. So, uh, you know, that uh, I also knew that that was also going to be the largest part of what you were learning from. So, uh, uh, I feel that's a good example of Lumpu Cha being able to just uh, think outside the box and just go with. uh, somebody else's uh I'll say experience or trust other people's perspectives and to not feel like he had to follow a, a fixed pattern or there was a, a a a right way that things should be done and that uh anything that deviated from that was was bad or wrong or, or not or not proper in some way Another a very interesting aspect, I feel, and re- reflecting on what we've inherited from Lumpur is the fact that we're, we're, kind of, we're all together. Uh, this is a, a, a big community, you know, 60, 70 people. I haven't done a head count recently, but somewhere around 60-ish, 70-ish people. And uh, it's often said that um, Lumpur Cha's style of teaching was uh, uh, was based upon sangha, so he was really a teacher of sangha as a a method of Dhamma practice and that uh, that again was was somewhat outside the thinking outside the box or or a counter to uh, a lot of the the um, uh, the uh, say comparable forest monastery uh, communities that that were uh, around in in that time the fifties sixties seventies that uh, the uh, the standard model, if you can say such a, use such a phrase for the the uh, forest tradition, the kind of monasteries established by Man and his disciples, will be a, a lot of emphasis on solitary practice the The forest monastics they wouldn't do ceremonies like house blessings or even funerals. Many monasteries would never have evening or or morning puja. uh, You'd only gather for the alms round and the meal and the rest of the time you would um, practice on your own at your kuti. Um, you might do chores uh, at a certain time of the day uh, and then every two weeks you'd meet for the the recitation of the, the monastic rule but other than that very very little time spent uh, in company with, with the other members of the of the group, of the monastery so a, a big emphasis on solitude and formal practice and so Ajahn Chah's style was, was a bit different that he actually emphasized communal practice um, and um there was much more of an emphasis not just on doing morning uh, like learning the morning the morning and evening chanting and then translating that into uh using the translated version into thai as well so that the people the monastics and the lay people could understand the the words of the of the chanting, uh, but also um, having the Sangha members learn the paritta chanting so we could do house blessings and baby blessings and wedding blessings, uh, um, learning the funeral chanting so we could conduct uh, funeral ceremonies uh, and so forth. Many of those things in in, uh, quite a large proportion of forest monasteries being looked upon as, well, those are just the kind of empty ceremonies, There's the kind of pujas that, uh, that village monks or town monks can do and yeah, forest monks, we're serious, we should practice, practice, practice but uh, Lumpur Chak went against the grain somewhat and, uh, and had his community learning those, those uh, other aspects of Buddhist tradition um, and very consciously, very, very deliberately um, uh, steering things in that direction also a lot of communal work We've been having these Samagi working bees every week. <laughs> so it's very much in the the, uh, the tradition of uh, our monasteries and that uh, the uh, sort of communal work projects. When you're building a, a sala or you're you know constructing a wall or or uh, putting up a new um, dyeing shed or something, that you know, a lot of the members of the community joining together, everybody lending a hand and uh, and working together and so again in many forest monasteries physical work or engaging that kind of uh, of um, side of life would be seen as a bit of a distraction it wasn't really the the practice and um and yet ajahn chah uh, emphasized that or he saw that was a, something that was worth for, um using as a, a method of practice and to actually take the uh, the need for things to be done, buildings to be put up or you know roads and paths to be made, walls to be built, and so on it deliberately making those uh, a way in which you practiced, and not just the, the the physical structures being made, but learning to work together you know the ones who are competent, the ones who are incompetent, the ones who can. Can sew a straight li- sow a straight line. The ones who can't sew a straight line, yeah. the ones who can put two bricks on top of each other, so they're nicely, beautifully square. And the ones who can't put two bricks on top of each other, so that they're square. Yeah, the ones who are energetic, the ones who are uh, who are say uh, lazy, or the ones who are strong, the ones who are, who are weaker, and not not praising the you know the strong and the competent, uh, but rather just. Uh, helping people to work together so that you learn to attune to each other so that the uh, that sense of taking into account your own capacities the capacities of the people around you learning to work uh, as a group and so uh, that uh, say method of sangha using sangha as a uh, spiritual method that was very characteristic of volumbuchars uh, style of practice, almost unique in the forest tradition, not completely, but uh, 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 somewhat unique within the, the, the Thai forest tradition. And uh, the uh, uh, the source of that, uh, as I understand it, uh, the story's been told many many times, is how when uh, when the young Ajahn Chah was a, a Tudong monk, when he was wandering um most of the time he would be by himself following that same kind of mode of practice of the Ajahn Mun style he would uh he would wander through the countryside he'd find a convenient place in a forest or on a, a mountainside to hang up his his glot his sort of large umbrella and mosquito net and camp out and then go into the village local village for for alms food in the mornings and but spending most of his days and nights practicing meditation by himself but every so often uh, uh for various reasons he needed to go into a a a, a monastery and spend time with other sangha members uh, other monks and, and novices and uh and uh he he noticed that when he was by himself his practice or his, his mind states could be very very clear and bright very peaceful uh and he could he would put great effort into his meditation and would learn a lot Uh, from the the practice but then when he was uh, with other monks and novices then he'd get impatient he'd get critical he'd get upset and and uh, feel angry and you know frustrated and so uh, again his ability to to be observant (laughs) and to think outside the box um, uh, rather than rather than taking that to to then uh, encourage him to therefore be alone as much as possible because I can really practice well when i 'm alone and and it 's irritating and frustrating and and burdensome to be with other people instead what he he uh, the way he, his mind held it was well, okay well, being by myself that's easy i can uh, I can uh, be peaceful I can be concentrated I can be very very happy uh, and I can look like i'm making a lot of progress but if I'm losing my temper as soon, as soon as I'm back in a monastery with other other monks, uh, if I'm getting uh, critical and uh, uh, upset by the poor standard of vinaya discipline, or that uh, the, the um, incompetent uh, uh, chanting that they that people don't chant as well as I do, or they can't sit and meditate as long as I can, or they uh, they're not as knowledgeable about the the uh, vinaya rules as I am. So if I'm getting upset and irritated, frustrated and, and angry um, with with people, then that's showing that I've still got a lot of learning to do. So he uh, uh, he decided that he would make uh, a, an, a, a conscious effort to live with other people and to make that the environment that he learned from, because he could he saw that you know, that's where the friction is. And that's where the wisdom will arise, is from that friction and difficulty. Just following the, 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 the path of least resistance, even though it's very enjoyable and wholesome qualities uh, seemingly coming forth from that, if there's a lot of unfinished business that is being avoided, then that's, that's not gonna be helpful in the long run. So he deliberately uh, steered his, his own practice and then when he began to, to teach, the the structure of his own monastery and, uh, and the branch monasteries that grew up from that, he deliberately structured those around people being together, working together, uh, developing a, a relational practice rather than emphasizing a, a huge amount of a, a solitude. So um, that I feel is uh, one of the reasons why there are you know, 300 and some odd um, Uh, branch monasteries in Thailand and around the world. I'm not not sure what the the precise count is now. I think there's about 340 in Thailand and about another 35 or 40 around the world now. Uh, Anyway, a lot. (laughs) Uh, But uh, uh, one of the reasons I feel that uh, things have spread in this way is that there was an emphasis on Sangha and uh, that quality of communality it's also, it, it makes it uh, much more, um, say, uh, welcoming. And uh, in a way, I wouldn't say human, <laughs> but uh, there's a, a, a softness. There's a, a, a kind of, um, uh, say, I like lumpus would use the word, a conviviality. There's, there's a quality of, of joyfulness in living together, working together. I mean, we can't irritate each other and annoy each other. <laughs> But um, the the a way of life based upon you know, be alone, be alone, practice, 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 in emphasizing solely emphasizing formal practice and solitude. There's not that many people that can really live that way and that can uh, can really benefit greatly from that kind of lifestyle. That's it's uh, it's very uh, it's very demanding. If it can be used, then it can bring great uh, great positive results. But it's uh, it doesn't have those kind of um, communal or, or a human, convivial qualities to it in the same way, and I feel that uh, one of the the things that drew uh Someto to train with Ajahn Chah and what he found in his monastery was that sense of I could do this for a lifetime. This is there's a, there's a kind of a, a, a communal spirit. There's a sense of of uh, of uh, friendship, kalyanamitta, of kind of spiritual warmth and connectedness, even with the monks that are irritating, <laughs> there's a sense of, of family and uh, and togetherness that is uh, very very powerful, very supportive, and something that is is delightful. Um, so there's a couple of aspects of that that I think are, are really helpful, along with things like. You know physical work uh, working together and chanting together <laughs> meditating together um, also the uh, there there's the um the aspect that uh, Cha emphasized of uh, the the duties around the monastery people taking uh, taking responsibility for the different uh, aspects of the the living spaces and the robes and the, you know the um uh, you know, looking after all of the, the, the cleaning and tidying, uh, looking after the place, but also looking after each other. So he really emphasized not just the kichiwata or the sort of the monastery duties looking after the place, but also the acharyawata. So that there's very much a kind of family, parent, child, elder, younger uh, bond that he encouraged. Uh, again, not to criticize the sort of be alone and, and do formal practice uh, mode, but uh, Lumbarchar very consciously encouraged that sense of the juniors looking after the seniors. That uh, uh, someone coming into the the monastery as a, as a junior, uh, uh, like a young anagarika, or anagarika or uh, samanera, uh, a young monk coming into the the training, to be taught to to look after the the elders, to be um, uh, taking care of it say that when uh, an elder gets up from their seat to pick up the sitting cloth and fold it for them or or if you are sitting somewhere um talking with your friends and an elder comes into the, the to the into the space or kind of joins you then you would immediately sort of, uh sit down in a lower place so that the elder could be sitting in a in a higher place um, these kind of little uh, details of Respecting how you fit together in the family, you know who's elder, who's younger, and then also the, the elders looking after the needs of the, the juniors, being ready to to teach people how to sew or how to carry their bowl or how to wash their their robes um, uh, and uh, to uh, how to how to meditate, you know, how to chant, how to to you know, study the scriptures and, and so on and so forth. So very much a kind of family environment. Um, uh, and uh, a warmth, uh, a, a, and the supportiveness that that, uh, that comes from that. So it was very consciously and uh, deliberately developed by Lumpur Chah. Um, and you're know, paying respects. we were also known, I understand, we're known as the bowing sangha <laughs> because we do a lot of bowing, not just to, to shrines, but you know, bowing to each other, and that when when um, a, a junior person would come to visit a senior person and they would bow, always bow to them when they arrive bow to them when they leave as well as, as, well as bowing to the shrine and then when we go into our, our dwelling then we bow to the shrine when we arrive we bow to the shrine before we leave um, so again that sense of, of um, say, uh, recognizing your role your position in the, in the community in the, in the sasana and uh, a constant recollection of that and I feel that's, that uh, in many and various ways that style of practice is supporting that relational quality of, of dhamma and our, uh, our living as a part of a, of a larger body. So the word sangha means like the unified assembly, that which is together. And to really be a sangha, rather than just a collection of individuals who all happen to be living in the same area, <laughs> to really be a, 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 a sangha, Uh, Lumpo Cha developed these many different skillful means to help that quality of communality be be developed and be a real spiritual method uh, something that was quite uh, deliberately a part of of the training and because he could see the the beneficial results that came from that that uh, there's a a kind of a radical unselfishness and also... um, a, a supportiveness that uh, you know, the supportiveness coming to you, and an unselfishness within you that is uh, is developed in that way that you just don't think of yourself first. <laughs> you know that you're you're very consciously living as a a part of a of a larger group, and there's a um, a way that that undercuts the habits of of self view and self concern and egotistical thinking that are, are so common. Uh, for us as as human beings, and it's so helpful for those to be understood and to be let go of. Oh, in terms of his his, his Dhamma teachings, there's. you uh, <laughs> could already be here, be here all night. I won't do that to you, but. Uh, a, um, there's many and uh, many and various teachings that are extraordinarily helpful, and um, uh, uh, sometimes I feel at the top of the list. There's a, one particular comment that he made. I, I forget what uh, is the name of the talk that it's is it's so listed, and I'm sure he said it quite a few times. But it's it's it mentioned in one particular teaching is a a comment that he makes that um, 50 to 70 percent of the practice is knowing that you should let go and not being able to and many of you have heard me quote that over and over (laughs) but i do feel that's extremely helpful particularly for us as westerners um, because we can be so idealistic we tend to lead with the head we sort of create an ideal of how we should be how things should be and then the way that the world is the way we are is sort of forced to try and catch up with that is we we come from a very idealistic perspective a lot of the time and that uh, so that 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 simple phrase of Lompo Cha saying 50 to 70% of the practice is knowing that you should let go, you can recognize, yes, this is foolish, this is an unskillful habit, this is really destructive, this is painful for me, it's painful for others, uh, 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 that's... That can be recognized. The wisdom factor, <laughs> the wise reflection, says, "Yeah, this is uh, this is unwholesomeness. Feeling of, of anxiety, or this feeling of desire, or lustfulness, or these feelings of, of aversion, or uh, whatever it might be, anxiety, of various kinds. Yeah, it's it's destructive. It's harmful. It's it's not uh, not liberating at all." Yes, that's recognised. But the thing that's driving the anxiety or the aversion or the the desire, it's it's coming from a different part of our being. It's conditioned by a different aspect. They they work for different companies, as it were. <laughs> they, they they function in different ways, and so that uh, that uh, isn't just an excuse for being. Uh, lazy or for for not caring, but it 's recognizing like yes, we can see that this is unskillful and unwholesome and and needs to be uh, worked on and, and uh, let go of, but that r- simply recognizing that that doesn 't uh, in and of itself uh, uh, under uh, undercut or doesn't it doesn 't cut through uh, the the things that are driving it, the 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 the, the structures that support that urge, uh, that's coming from a different place, and so that uh, it's a um, it's a way of recognizing uh, that the habits of attachment, uh, the kilesa, those the, the the bonds driven by ignorance, they are uh, they're very powerful, they're very deeply rooted, um, and that the uh, they can't just be willed away. You can't just decide I'll never get angry again. Well, you can <laughs> you can have that thought. Like anger is really destructive and harmful. Therefore, I'll never get angry again. Like uh, you can have that thought. You can recognize anger is is uh, destructive and painful. But just recognizing that doesn't doesn't disable. It doesn't cut through the causes of it. it uh, but. Uh, it, so it's not just being lazy or not bothering or, or just saying, okay, well, I'll just, you know, I'll just go along with being angry. Uh, but rather, as he says, it's 50 to 70% of the practice is knowing we should let go and not being able to. It means that w- there's a recognition of that process. There's, and you're, you're steadily trusting in the power of awareness, uh, seeing that uh, if this is followed, this angry impulse or this, self-righteous impulse or this greedy impulse or this ang- uh, anxious impulse, or this jealous impulse if that's followed then pain results because of this uh, attachment then there's there's a, a painful quality that, that follows upon that and through patiently seeing that over and over and over again uh, and recognizing the, the, the pain that comes from that kind of attachment then. That the power of that awareness, that, that repeated seeing over and over again, that's what helps the heart to to relax. To say, "I'm tired of that," or like "Oh, I just, uh, uh, I uh, that's uh, that's so uh, that's so painful, that's so uh, burdensome, so stressful." And then the 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 heart doesn't uh, doesn't pick that up in the same way. So it's, uh, it's to do with patience, and resolution, determination, being ready to see over and over again. Uh, and again, as Lumpur put it in, one, in others of his teachings, he said, it's only when we'll, we see the pain of attachment that we will let go. Until we really know that, until that's really felt, the pain that comes as a result of clinging, of attachment, then the heart lets go and it's also that letting go isn't coming from a i should let go because the agent told me to or <laughs> or this is the this is the program is is letting go but it's there's a a, it's like a wordless and non-conceptual of relaxation of the heart like a in the autumn a a, a leaf dropping off the, the 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 tree as the the autumn comes and the the, the leaf turns and, uh, from green to brown and falls off the tree or like right now in my my garden the uh the, w- the wisteria blossoms there uh, the wisteria is just kind of going past its peak, and so that all the the flowers are falling down more and more they they have reached their limit and they they drop so in exactly the same way that that uh, uh that that kind of process uh of, of holding on to something it's it uh, the the power of wisdom is what brings about that that transformation or that that kind of aging in the analogy that that maturation and then the letting go happens on its own it's a it's a sort of a natural relaxation and easing of the heart so it's not a a self-driven thing like i've i've got to let go i should let go Uh, i i am letting go i have let go as all within the framework of of self-view but rather there's a a a wordless non-conceptual non-personal relaxation and, and easing and that the letting go is coming from a very uh, profound and complete place within us. Oh, Another of uh, the teachings, I think, uh, I w- was part of the reading earlier today, was where Lumpur Cha makes the comment, I think it's in the talk, uh, Not Sure, where he says, You know, I've been, Anicca, uh, the, the teaching on uncertainty or impermanence, he said, I've been a monk for 40 years, and that's all I've ever, all I've ever found. It all comes down to anicca. That's the that's the only thing that is of of significance. The quality of uncertainty. So that and patient endurance. So that, you know, after forty years of practice, that's what I feel it comes down to, is the uh, really appreciating anicca, uncertainty, impermanence, and and patient endurance. That uh, uh, what they call. uh ton kwam o in uh, in Thai language. So often when uh, when uh, somebody would come to Lumpur Cha with a problem and say, Oh I'm having this this real difficulty, my meditation's really really terrible, my my mind's all over the place. You know, what should I do, Lumpur? And he'd say, Oton, dai mai. you know, can you endure? Or <laughs> oh, you know Lumpur, I've got this really this terrible illness, I've had this this infection for months and months and my my uh, my body is really uh, feverish and I'm, I'm uncomfortable I'm in pain all, you know all, all the time oton am I? you know can you endure <laughs> and so it's not being uncaring or, or unkind but encouraging that sense of 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 uh, say resolution and uh, being able to meet the quality of of pain or difficulty with an open heart, seeing that yes, things can be painful, but we don't have to build suffering around that. And that quality of of genuine patience is an openness of heart. It's a it's a readiness to to feel the uh, the the nature of the present, no matter how difficult or uncomfortable or awkward it might be, without adding any any suffering to that. So it's a almost a sort of house style of the forest tradition is patient endurance that's the uh torn uh, to patiently endure the in the climate here in the west is a bit more comfortable we don't have the kind of sizzling heat well when it gets up to about 35 degrees here then we consider that a heat wave <laughs> but uh, thailand gets a, a lot hotter and steamier than that uh, and uh, we don't have so many sort of ants or mosquitoes or Poisonous scorpions uh, and uh, centipedes and such like snakes. Um, it's a much more benign environment, much more gentle environment. But still, the the um, uh, the challenges of um, uh, of life still come along. We uh, fi- we find that there are still a lot of uh, uncomfortable things, a lot of physical discomfort, illnesses, or mind states. Uh, social uh, awkwardnesses and pressures—we um, still have uh, uh, a lot of dukkha to deal with. And so that same spirit of of patience, patient endurance, can we turn towards that that unwanted feeling, that that discomfort, that difficulty, and and uh, open the heart to it, to recognize here it is. And then its partner is is the insight into anicca, which is. No matter how solid or, or or substantial this appears to be, or how repeated it appears to be, it has to be impermanent. It, it is something that's that's uh, in a state of change. It can't be solid and permanent. It, 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 that's impossible. And similarly, the uh, reflection on anicca as uncertainty—that uh, that is uh, as Lumpur in that, that teaching and over and over again he would emphasize this is the, the core uh, the uh, process of developing wisdom that uh, you know this is the as he said uh, not sure the standard of the uh, the noble ones this is that the, the gateway to wisdom is that moment by moment uh, embodiment of the insight into uncertainty or impermanence uh, as he Uh, as he would say, that whenever you have an experience, whether you like it or you dislike it, whether it's expected or unexpected, just tell yourself, it's not a sure thing. When you say, oh this is great, not a sure thing. This is awful, not a sure thing. This is just what I wanted, not a sure thing. This is just exactly what I didn't want, it's not a sure thing. Uh, That way of bringing uh, wise reflection to the mind's judgments, its opinions, is what it calls beautiful or ugly, right or wrong, it's uh, applying that kind of wise reflection on uncertainty. It immediately puts into perspective uh, the habits of the mind when it calls something good. It can't be absolutely good when it calls something bad. It can't be absolutely bad. It's revealing that, well, that's from this particular perspective, in this particular moment this particular set of senses say, this is beautiful, that's ugly, this is right, that's uh, this is a good thing, this is a bad thing. So, well, that's, uh, that can only be a relative truth. Uh, and so then it uh, enables the mind, the heart, to hold things in a much clearer and, uh, and uh, say, valid perspective. another of the teachings i feel particularly in the the, the role that um that i have as the abbot uh, here is that uh, uh he made the the comment a number of times that the, the abbot needs to be like a rubbish pit that we think of you know you sit up on a high seat or you get the you, you get the big cushion <laughs> you get you know first first dibs at the food you, know, you get all these sort of apparent um uh, gestures of of, uh, of uh, being in a sort of elevated position, or, or going first, and uh, sitting up high, and so on. That uh, they, that being in a, uh, that role can have these these insignia of uh, being kind of exalted or special or high. Says, but really, the the most important thing about being an abbot and the, the way to work most effectively as an abbot is to be a rubbish pit and. Uh, in, uh, some of you might, might know or have heard this described before in, and, and it was the way it was when, when I first lived in, in northeast Thailand in the late seventies, in a monastery or in the village, they'd have a, a, a big pit that was about, Maybe two or three meters across and three or four, three or four meters deep. And uh, before the advent of plastic and and things that wouldn't decay, you could throw all your rubbish into the pit and you could throw it in for months and months and months and it wouldn't fill up because the, the banana leaves or the mango skins or whatever, they would, they would rot down. So you could keep throwing stuff into the pit and it would never fill up. It would just, things would rot away sort of naturally and slowly, steadily. So Lumpur Cha's, uh image of the the, the appropriate um, say characterization of the abbot as a as a pit. I mean, also that uh, he would be deliberately saying something like that to, because it's exactly what people don't think of as the the, the Jawat the kind of head of the monastery. It would seem to be quite insulting. But he said, you know, on, on a on a real human level, that's what we you need to do is to to be that space which receives. All the rubbish of, of the people around you and the rubbish of your own mind, or your own urges of, of love and hate and jealousy and fear and, and uh, aversion, irritation, laziness, uh, egotism, and so on. That 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 space which receives all of the kind of rubbish, <laughs> uh, whether it's coming from your own mind or the the the, the people around you, uh, just to be receiving that, and no matter how much is. Poured into the space, the space doesn't fill up, and uh, so that I've found is a really um, a helpful image. Uh, not trying to make people feel bad, or thinking that you know, I regard all of my contacts with everybody here as as rubbish, <laughs> not at all. But uh, in terms of that openness and receptivity, and and also not being filled up by what gets sort of dropped into the space, but just that. Uh, no matter how much is dropped in, it, it, it's all received and and digested. It can all be uh, absorbed in that way. So I found that that's a, a helpful image to bear in mind. Maybe another couple of things to say about Lampochar's character was also that, uh, and I. I um, uh try to uh, to follow I, I, I don't feel like i'm a very good student of his at all uh, after i feel kind of embarrassed after when thinking of Lee Lumpur lumpuchar after 40 years of practice had uh, had no no work left to do in the holy life and uh, me with uh, more than 40 years of practice have definitely got plenty left to do in the holy life so um uh, but so uh i don't consider myself a particularly good student of his but i do aspire to uh, to follow his his path and one of the things that uh, was very much a, uh, his way of doing things was he would lead by example he wouldn't ask people to do things that he wouldn't do himself or he would wouldn't ask of others a standard that he wouldn't keep for uh, keep for himself um, and that uh that i feel is really uh, really important uh, and that again if you're in a role of of leadership that's uh, uh, an important offering to have to the to the um, the group uh, the, again I, i've been not that i'm trying to promote the somage, the weekly samagi working bees but uh, i have really enjoyed having a, a good reason to to uh, to just be uh, engaged in physical labor just uh, moving object a to place b and repeat. <laughs> I really enjoyed that. Just carrying plastic pipes around, moving bricks from pile A to pile B—it's uh, great. You know, I really, really enjoy that. So I do uh, uh, like that um, engaging physical labor, but also just the the, the basic spirit of of um, uh, let's say leading by example. And if, you know, if you want, if I want people to be present for the morning meditation, then I need to be there. If I want people to be on time for the for the meditation, for the morning and the evening, yeah, you know, I need to to be there to, to set the set an example. Again, I'm not trying to intimidate anyone or make people feel bad, but just that I feel is I, I, I'm inspired, and and so taking Lumpo um lead in those kind of things that uh, you um, uh, you can't expect other people to do things that you won't do. <laughs> Or well, that uh, you you know you're asking others to do more than you're ready to do yourself. And uh, uh, many years ago, uh, the uh, the former Ajahn Ananda, uh, the one who was uh, in in Thailand in the early days, the American uh, Ajahn Anando, not the English one. Uh, when he was uh, at Wat uh, uh, um he uh, uh, they they were having a lot of of. Uh, Long evening sittings, like three or four hours, four or five hours every evening, and uh, there weren't there weren't these sort of um, mats and, and zafus. You know, you just had a, a sitting cloth, like a, a one layer sitting cloth on a hard concrete floor, or maybe there'd be a, a grass mat on, uh, and then uh, the, your sitting cloth on top of that. And uh, and he noticed that Lumpocha had this sort of th- yeah, a three inch thick spongy cushion and uh, so he was having all these sort of slightly toxic thoughts about you know it's all right for him he's got this nice spongy cushion and the rest of us have got you know, this hard concrete that we've got to sit on for hours and hours and hours grumble 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 and uh he uh he said that uh lumpu never made any kind of comment or didn't didn't uh, look at him but uh, uh he had this this distinct feeling that uh lumpu was aware of what he was thinking and then so uh, on the last evening of this long uh, long session, they didn't know it was going to be the last evening because Lumphutchar never really announced anything in advance. It was all very uh, minor, uncertain. <laughs> but what turned out to be the last the last session of that last uh, evening of that whole session, that uh, uh, somebody would have, Ajahn Chah's attendant would have put his sitting cloth out on top of the the big spongy cushion uh, before Lumphutchar came along. And on that last evening, he came along. He picked his sitting cloth off the big spongy cushion, put it onto the concrete <laughs> beside the, the the big spongy cushion, and, and sat on it. And then they had like a five-hour sitting, or maybe four hours, but it was the longest of the sittings that they'd had. And um, uh, and uh, so this uh, the 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 ex was, uh had a, you know, a, a a lengthy opportunity to reflect on <laughs> the fact that it's not that Ajahn Chah sort of just he's got a big spongy cushion while the rest of people don't have that, but uh, he was a, able to indicate, well, you know, I can also put myself on the hard concrete and uh, and sit for long periods of time. Uh, uh, I'm not just asking you to do that. Uh, I can, you know, I'm happy to do that as well. So it was a, a, another small instance of that. Also, talking maybe the last thing to say is you know, we we, we uh, and so going back to our saying at the beginning when Lhundrup is saying talking about um, you know those who speak of birth and death are talking in the language of ignorant children that uh, and we can hold you know, Lumpo up as an individual and exalt uh, his his memory and uh, have a lot of praise uh, for him as a person, but. Maybe the last thing to share is that how, over and over again, he would say, "Don't look at me; look at yourself." Uh, and he had all kinds of ways that he would <laughs> indicate that. That if you tried to praise him or, or kind of uh, were sort of flattering him or, or trying to get close to him, he would you know, find a way of sort of pushing you away or, or stepping aside and or you know, getting you to to um, to look back at yourself. And that was a, a very very constant theme. He would say look at other people 10% of the time, look at yourself 90% of the time. Uh, don't look at me, look at yourself. And that, uh, or, you say, or if someone said, you know, Lumpur, are you enlightened? He said, well, don't ask if I'm enlightened, ask yourself you know, why you are not <laughs> enlightened. So there's that way of, of uh, yes, he was happy to be a, a, a revered and exalted loved figure, but he didn't need that. He didn't depend upon the approval or, or adulation the kind of the affection or love of others but it was always turning that back to the, the faith and the enthusiasm that arose he didn't just sort of feed on it himself but he would say okay <laughs> you're enthusiastic, you're inspired, right work on yourself you know, put the attention in the, in the place where it's really going to make a difference don't don't look at me, look at, look at yourself and I feel that's really uh, incredibly helpful advice for, for all of us that uh it's uh it's this this life this body this mind this is where we can make a difference and it's very easy for our attention to to get uh, drawn out to others to be praising the the ones we like or criticizing the ones we dislike or getting really tied up in the in our uh sort of stories that we we create about each other but uh that that kind of a principle look at others 10% of the time look at yourself 90% of the time because this is where we can make a difference and and we're here uh, at Amaravati monastery uh, these monasteries to to make a difference uh, to uh, to our lives and, and that if that's going to be achieved if that's going to be actualized then we need to pay attention to this life this mind this body and work here and so that um that uh, i feel is a, is a helpful sort of a, final point to 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 reflect upon that uh, yes we have a revered teacher or lumposumato, you know, it's so wonderful to have him here and to be listening to his teachings uh, every week. But exactly the same spirit, if we if we're losing all our energy <laughs> of looking at Lumpur Sumato, then we're we're not saying that's so wonderful, that's so wise, that's so helpful, that's so great. But the if the attention is going out to to another, then it's also say, somehow not being uh, focused in the place where it really makes uh, the the biggest difference, which is on this heart, this mind, uh, this life. So I would encourage us to, um, along with the Amisa Puja, the gestures of of um, devotion, um, uh, that are, are here in, say, this beautiful shrine with all the flowers and the portrait of Lumpur along with the Amisa Puja. More important is the Patipati Pati Puja, the, the uh, Puja carried out through the medium of practice. So I offer these thoughts for consideration this evening.